Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of the Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. Today my guest is Gibran Elbazi. Hi Gibran. Hi, good morning. Good How are morning. you doing? I'm pretty good. Um, and without further ado, I'd like, to, I'd like you to let us know what you're going to talk about today. I think the interesting subject to talk about is connection, especially Like in the last 10, maybe 20 years, we've been going online so much uh, through the communication, through the internet, that sometimes I feel we're actually losing connection. Maybe not. Uh, if we now say everything is connected. The internet connects everyone. But sometimes we maybe lose connection with ourselves and, and maybe the deeper parts within others that we don't see as much anymore because lots of the communication is is more on the surface instead of uh, uh, on the deep end. Maybe because of the, the use of so much social media, everything is, is coming in and going out in, in small bursts where you cannot take a moment and, and notice it uh, a little bit more or a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, I agree. And it does seem to be a, a perennial problem today of um, maybe, I mean, They say it's, it's a loneliness epidemic, right? That's what they say. So what is loneliness but a lack of connection? And you're right, like immediately I think of the last time each of us spent just sitting with friends around a campfire, you know? This is something that is almost uh, hard to imagine to spend hours together with somebody online and having these um, deep conversations. Um, yeah, so we'll get to explore that from all sorts of, of angles. I want you to begin by maybe taking us as far back as you can in your life um, to experiences, and they don't have to be explicit thoughts about connection, but just maybe from the heart, like what are some meaningful connections that, um, that you can begin with? Um, well, most, most meaningful connections for me now So it's very recent is my wife and kids. I mean, they, they are the world to me. And well, I, I feel as much connected to them as, as to myself. But on the other hand, I go back to like, think of the earliest connection that I can consciously remember is, I think the close connection is with my uh, younger brother, two years younger than me. As a child, we were very close and still are. With, with a small hiatus in between, but we, we grew up with just all, all kinds of things together. And um, sometimes people thought we were twins, but <laughs> that's because he grew taller than me much faster. Of course, parents, but it was almost as a as a given. So I think that's that's like the, the, the positive uh, early connections I, I, I can remember early from life. And of course, in between friends and family and specific uh, experiences where I more deeply felt a connection um, in places of, of uh, hardship uh, or, on the other hand, places of, of 
extreme fun and joy with friends. But if I, what I'm noticing now is that they are all moments and experiences that uh, were offline, as in like in the physical world, uh, those connections. So I think that's a big part of of feeling connected. And like you said, the loneliness epidemic, I think, and especially now in the last 18 months or so with uh, COVID, lots of people uh, being disconnected physically from others, trying to make the connection online, but it's it's not the same thing. I mean, you can go very far, but it's you can't hug someone or or look someone in the eye with the crisp resolution of reality. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, the the fact that you are choosing connection as a, as a topic for us to discuss kind of implies that you had time in your life. Like obviously now during COVID, you already had your family with you. Um, but were there times of your life between those happy moments in childhood, which you just mentioned, uh, which I'm very happy to learn that you had no sh- no lacking in? Between then and now, were there times where you had more trouble connecting with people? Basically, did it prove harder at some point? Did you came to a stage in your life where you were maybe chasing other things and realized that maybe you need to go back to having deep connections? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so from my childhood, around seven or eight, when I was becoming more conscious and and seeing more of the world and people around me, I started to lose connection with with lots of things around me, with with school or teachers or or, uh, kids in school. Sometimes I couldn't relate much to their experience or they couldn't relate to mine. So I felt disconnected. I didn't really feel at home in any subgroup or identity and and at some point well that's the beautiful thing about the internet when when i got the internet and when i was 11 or 12 i went on the web and and then i could find all kinds of interesting um, people and conversations and and bulletin boards in those times uh, life journal all those things um to connect with with ideas and feelings that i felt but no one in my small village um, was talking about or even knew knew about. So I, I very much went on a a journey to understand myself and understand the world. But it all came from a feeling of feeling disconnected, of um, wanting to be connected. I didn't think of it consciously at that time, as in I feel disconnected now. I'm going to find connection, but I was just looking and to to find. Well, to find myself, to figure out who I, who I was and who I am. But then at some point when I was 17, 18 years old, the, the pressure of, of society and of people around me was becoming so big that at some point I, I lost that way of, of searching, of, of reflection, introspection, and, and the interest in psychology and philosophy. I, I think I left it behind somewhat. Also more the, the spiritual side of me, I, I put it away and very much fell into a very materialist, reductionist uh, worldview, including chasing girls, partying, drinking, and all the earthly joys or, or uh, pleasures yes. in yes. a sense. <clears throat> but of course, in that sense, I also was forsaking or ignoring a part of me but in that time, I I dated, and then in that time, I also met my uh, my wife, and 
and we bought a home and got kids. And that at that moment, when when I became a father, it started to that ego layer starts crumbling a bit again. That that limited worldview because so much love and and connection really with myself and with my son and with my wife suddenly came up again like a volcano erupting and and breaking away the yeah that, that layer of of earthly attachments desires that that were actually somewhat superficial in a sense um but it also meant i started looking back at um the pains and, and traumas i had and the, the disconnectedness I still felt in, in other parts of my life. And so that was like uh, six and a half years ago when our son was born and then when it continued. And then when our daughter was born, which was a very difficult period, it made me realize how much connection uh, with other people is is actually a word. It, it opened my eyes again to, you can also almost say like being connected is life and being disconnected is death in in so right. so such a strong, strong polarity terms. Yeah. yeah no that's amazing and we'll we'll definitely get to talk about um family i know uh, both of us are, are family people we love our families very much but it's interesting that you highlighted along the timeline the fact that i think in early puberty or around puberty we do seek um people to connect with but the connections are different. So it's really interesting to highlight that. I think thinking about myself as well, I mean, obviously as a child, like when you said uh, seven, eight, and before the connection is very much um, kind of visceral and emotional, just with those caretakers around your close family members and just people who care for you, take good care for you and you're relying on their on them for survival, basically. And around puberty, it's interesting that we seek out these other groups that are not these people. And we realize that the people who are the closest to us are, may still be emotionally closest to us. But in terms of thinking, like it's almost we have this impetus of, the, of, of doing something different from them and going and finding those other peer groups, uh, whether it's around, um, I don't know, for me, it was like football. So I, I was on, on football forums and just exploring British culture through that prism. And, you know, nobody at home knew what I was doing on the internet. And I was just connecting with people like that. And in that, I think the internet is very good at finding people who think, uh, who are like-minded, um, who have the, who share the same interests. And so that's a kind of connection for sure continuing to talk about our development as we get a little bit older then we're trying to maybe i think really have an identity and become a kind of accepted member of society which i think in western societies that means also doing these things of like partying you know chasing girls i think that's the typical thing uh proving yourself to be um successful in a way right um, and wanting to fit in in that sense. And then later on, you mentioned going back to this this more deep connection and now taking on the role of a parent yourself, which brings us to the beginning of the yes. cycle. So it's interesting how connection means different things or we seek different connections. And yet 
I think that the first stage of being a small child and the last, maybe the last stage, we're still young. So hopefully we'll get to experience the, um, the grandfather's perspective of things. But the last stage for now of having a family, there is something that is deeper about that. And I think we can add those few friends who are really there, you know, who we've shared a lot with and sat around the yes. fire with. And yeah, so so that's uh, fascinating to note. And yeah, now now I, I would be really happy to to hear from you just some of your thoughts about connection that you've developed and some of the feelings that you're feeling in the present day, like in the context of, of your family. Currently, I, I, like I said, I feel very connected with family and like you say, close friends where, where you shared a lot, shared a lot with is also are very deep connections, but I'm also feeling a more deep connection, I think with, well, with people that I don't know even, or, or just, just when I meet someone like you now or on the web, but also in person, the more that I am connected with myself, the more that I know uh, who I am the more I dare to look into someone else and look beyond the superficial ego or, or acts people do and, and try to look deeper. And that sense of compassion and connection, I think that's very valuable to have. And, and in before, when, when I was younger and struggling or in the, the time as an adolescent, very much, uh, like you said, chasing girls, partying, whatever. In those moments, I wasn't, looking within myself, not feeling really connected with my inner self. So that meant I was also not connecting with the inner parts of other people. So the, the connections there were also very shallow. So the more I am connected with myself now, the more I can connect with other people. I think there is also a, maybe this, it could be a tangent, but I think it's interesting. I saw a Twitter thread a few days ago about someone asked a question, how difficult do you think i'm paraphrasing but how difficult do you think it's it's getting into a relationship or finding a partner or, or of that kind and there were it was pretty sad all the replies or many of the replies were very depressing people didn't think they will ever get a a, a partner or a, a romantic life or but if you look through the tweets of those people they're very interesting people with interesting ideas and lovely comments and people maybe feel such a disconnect with with parts of themselves also probably because a lot of the parts of themselves are are maybe wounded or hard to look at because it's maybe traumatic or, or painful but if you then don't look at those parts you feel disconnected from yourself and then it's very difficult to connect with someone else and then you can make excuses of not finding someone else or connecting with someone else, be it a romantic love, but also friendships. I'm thinking you don't have to be perfect or you don't even have to necessarily change those traumatic, traumatic parts of yourself to fall in love or to connect with someone else. You just have to look at them and accept them. And then you can connect with that part, even if you think it's maybe ugly or painful, you can, if you can connect with your with those parts of yourself, then you can also connect with other people that maybe have their pains and traumas and, and look beyond those pains to what's in them. And then you can create a connection. So bringing it back to myself, I was also very much in the past, not daring to look at my own pains. I didn't feel as connected as I am now to, 
to the people around me and the people I'm meeting now. And that's why I think to create a good connection uh, between people in the world, it's very important to well, to start reflecting, doing introspection or, or start start to accept yourself, really. So I'm not sure if I was answering your question necessarily, but... Yeah, no, no, you totally were. I'm interested in in some of the maybe techniques or or simply maybe chance occurrences that, that led you to these realizations. Um, were you consciously um, employing some technique uh, to kind of get in touch with yourself and, and be at peace with yourself and know yourself better um, at some point? Yeah, but both consciously and, and unconsciously. So that the unconscious parts are just, yeah, well, that's the experiences life gives you. Maybe not what you want, but what you need. And and also consciously, uh, what, what helped me a lot were a few things, writing or journaling. So writing down what I was thinking uh, at the moment, um, not trying to direct what I'm writing. So I uh, it's an it's an exercise it's called morning pages maybe if you've heard of it maybe you don't but what you do is you sit down you write for like half an hour and you write down everything that comes up if it's like i i left on the light in the bathroom you write it down it's, it's, it's almost like meditation everything that comes up you just see it and you let it go but you let it go through writing and at some point you're conscious mind is is emptying and what comes up is the parts of your unconscious and then you start writing them down and what happens is that you suddenly see certain topics or subjects or problems that that are like that you've put away in your your shadow side start coming up and you can look at them uh, objectively uh, like later but also in that moment and if you do that like say for a for a month every day what will happen is you'll see a a theme in the topics that come up and if you don't deal with those problems or topics then your your unconscious will just keep puffing them up when you when you're right and if you then start working on them then you can maybe actively grab grab one of those problems or topics and then well, start doing introspection on them or talking about it with other people and then you can try to see where it comes from maybe a a, a certain pain or experience from the past so that's a very that's something that was very useful for me also, some uh, mind-enhancing substances <laughs> that were very useful. So I'm not sure how you deep you want to go into that, but that, those were very as, as deeply as you want to. <laughs> okay. So yeah, um, I've only experienced with with, with two kinds um, with MDMA as a, as a therapy, and the, the power of that was for me. It took away like all the anxiety I had, all the fears about the problems I had, the fears about connection with other people I didn't have and what was left was only love pure love and compassion and not romantic love like just pure pure love for myself and the people around me and, and everyone but you're still very conscious and what happened is that I could then look at all those well attachments or expectations or things that I I wanted or was fearing look at them objectively and or well not even objectively but through a lens of love and see how i was well torturing myself really with all those those thoughts and 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 fears and then you can deconstruct them and if you can deconstruct them then you can understand them if you can understand them you aren't afraid of them anymore and especially with love around it you create a new well memory around around those traumatic experiences and then you can 
after coming down days, weeks, whatever, years later, when I now look at some of the fears I, I had, I can look at them with new eyes, really. I, I also know people use it sometimes at parties or festivals, but I, I haven't experienced that, so I don't know. It's probably fun, but it's but I really see it as a, a uh, form of therapy, like self, self-therapy. self And I think even in the United States now, they are doing clinical trials with, with MDMA-assisted uh, psychotherapy. It's insanely uh, powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tim Ferriss wanted to, to help uh, people with PTSD. Um, I think he was benefited by using MDMA. And then he met the creators of a movie called Trip of Compassion. And it, it can be found on his blog. So it's tim.blog slash trip. All right. And it's a movie about the uh, phase two clinical trials with um, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy in Israel. Um, but everything wow. is translated into English. So it uses footage from actual um, MDMA-assisted therapy sessions with wow. severe PTSD um, patients. So everything you just described so beautifully. And, um, I, I had experiences with MDMA in, you know, in a way that was not like a party setting for sure, but also not strictly therapeutic. So somewhere mm. in between, like, uh, just having one or two friends, like kind of just walking around nature and night mm. and sharing what we had on our hearts. So I can definitely I agree with you on, on the effects of it, although I think you, you put it excellently into words. Um, so Trip of Compassion is, is something that people interested should definitely watch. And it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting uh, substance in terms of what it can do. Like, let's not say we condone its use here, but yeah, it, it can teach something about connection. Of course, it works on different systems of the body that relate with uh, physical closeness and emotional closeness. So mm. um, serotonin and oxytocin are both produced in mass quantities. There are side effects, like a few days mm. later, you might feel depleted. Um, so it's not, it's not side effect free, uh, but it does interesting things. And I agree, it can really make you feel connected to, to everything, even blades of grass. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so th thanks for sharing that. And what would be another, another thing that, that kind of got you closer to, to yourself and then others? As in kind of substance, you mean, or? Um, yeah, whatever. I think you mentioned another one. So uh, yeah. It's so, yeah. So, other, other is uh, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. So the, they, they grow everywhere. Um, but <laughs> um, in, the, in the Netherlands, they are uh, uh, legal also. I had a few experiences um, with, with increasing doses. So first I had the microdose. And what what happened was I was just writing. It came a little bit more out of me while writing more of my, well, I, I'd say inner life or or who I, who I am. Um, and then I didn't do anything for a long time. And then I took a like medium dose and lots of things came up. Um, and one thing I do have to say, if you go into it with, ah, I'm, I want to get X out of it, you won't get X out of it. You get Y out of it. <laughs> so, um, it, it has not happened. I, I've only done, well, <clears throat> less than a hand, handful of times, but every time it was very 
um, pain, painful, not physically painful, but emotionally painful, but always valuable. Um, and sometimes people may say uh, you get a bad trip or, um, but I think a bad trip is, is when you start feeling the pain or they, those are pains like from trauma or experiences that you, that you don't want to look at. they start coming up in because you're, well, I, I think I see it as your subconscious wants to show them to you to do something with it. But if you try to suppress them, then it's, it's, yeah, it's a battle and it's a battle you're going to lose either way. Either you won't get out of what you want of it or you'll, you'll get terror or, or bad trips or so. Um, what I always did was, was sur surrender to it. Um, and then when you surrender to it, it, it can be very, um, sad because you re uh, re-experience certain feelings memories that are well for for a specific reason put like way way back in your subconscious because they are so so they hurt so much um but every time i then uh looked at them i could dry take lessons from it and um well may inc increase my well happiness connection everything uh, after and i think with with psychedelics it's the experiences are, are a little more varied between people and also between each experience uh, while with with mdma it's it's usually more of, well you know you know what to expect after you've you've taken it once so but but both are are kind of different so mdma really no fear no anxiety only love and and with psychedelics for me at least it, it's making you re-experience something, but at the same time, look at it from a like meta perspective, or, um, um, and then you can also deconstruct it. And, and that's something interesting. Um, I also had most of my, I'd say almost revelations about things in the world or, or insights about the world or, or my connection with people or how people act on psychedelics. It's almost like, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes when when you have a conversation, I think the last conf like not podcast conversation that we did, we were talking very like back and forth, interesting ideas. And sometimes a psychedelic experience can almost can be, feel a bit, a little bit like that, like insight and interesting uh, bits of new information. It, ha it has a bunch of things. So I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. So with psychedelics, it's, it's hard to recommend because the, your mindset and the setting matter very much and um maybe if someone a trip sitter is there that, that can guide you uh is, is a big difference whether you're inside or in nature or it it, it has much more varia variability variables to to um well to to keep in mind using it right yeah um yeah that's that's fascinating and again something um i've experienced as well with mushrooms um so i don't want um listeners if you're listening, I'm, I'm going to tell another psychedelic story, but it's going to segue into, into really the, the next thing I want to discuss, which is kind of the, the connections with people again and with family specifically. Um, but yeah, as I told you before, Jibran, there's a story in my life, a psychedelic experience, which is really a before and after moment in my life. Um, I'll tell it very briefly. I'm not sure if the whole thing is on record yet in some other episode or not, but um, I ingested about 12 seeds of a plant called Hawaiian baby wood rose 
or elephant creeper, something like that. Um, the active component is LSA, so it's a kind of a brother to LSD, it's from the family. And it was interesting because it was actually connecting me like you would maybe expect with something like that. So for a while I went through the uh, quote-unquote usual um, trajectory of just experiencing everything more vividly, enjoying the, the sensual perceptions more, seeing the beauty in everything, and then starting to feel like my body is dissolving and myself it is dissolving and becoming one with everything, which is interesting because it tells you, you know, basically this is ultimate connection. Like you are basically, there is no ego and you're just part of this bigger thing. So ostensibly this means that it's you're at peak connection of some sort. Um, but interestingly, I had my friend walking next to me and I'm telling her like right at the peak of the experience, you know, I'm here, I can see myself as one with the trees, one with the waterfall, one with the flies, uh, one with you. Um, and I could stay here, you know, I, I don't have to come back. And uh, so she told me later that on that day, like half her hairs turned white. Um, and at that point, a little bit after that, I felt like I could stop my own heartbeat and I stopped my uh, diaphragm so I wouldn't breathe anymore. And now I'm not quick to judge and say, oh, this is what it was. It was up to me. No, um, it's probably just my mind on drugs. But what I started noticing is that with all this um, superficial connection with everything, I started really missing my friends my family, and even just the people around me who I knew who I knew were going to experience something very terrible if I were to, to flip there and never come back and, you know, be lost in the woods or whatever I felt like I could do. And really the thing that kind of pulled me back into reality, pulled me back into communicating with people was just this feeling of I, I do want the connection. I don't want to do this to them because it's painful when a relationship you have dies um, if your uh, friend or family member or something uh, dies it's you know you don't really mourn the person themselves if if they die for example or if they uh, just get severely injured or incapacitated in some way you know you could feel for them but if they if they're dead let's say it's not that you think that they're suffering right now what you're really mourning is that connection so uh, the poetic way of saying is is like a piece of me died with this uh, friend or family member right um mm -hmm. and i was just trying to feel that and i began to come back into myself and then and then talking with them but the hardest part and i also feel uh, benefited from that experience i had other parts of the of the trip i didn't mention that were hugely beneficial to me so parts like when i felt a voice that told me that i was asking the questions very much like you say the questions that have been on my mind but i wasn't really asking or were causing me stress and anxiety i was asking them and i felt a voice i didn't hear a voice but i felt mm -hmm. a voice telling me that it's okay, I can let go of these. And this stuck with me. I remember it to this day and I'm able to kind of connect with that. And I'm thankful for that experience. But coming down afterwards, um, it took me, I think a month 
to smile again. And it took me more than two weeks to be able to hold a conversation with people. And I would still kind of be annoyed with people because they could become annoyed with just small things. Now I had this um, access to this reality, right, on a different level where you could see how small and petty the usual things we get riled up about are. And I found it hard to connect with people. And those were a difficult two weeks to a month. Um, also yes. for the people who were next to me. So my friends saying, like, you're not smiling. And, you know, we just wish that it would come back. So I'm, I'm just pointing this out because it's interesting how you can go kind of full circle again, where you see it's like it starts out with what you think is connection with the whole world, like you are one with the trees and the birds and that. And then once you are, you realize that you actually lost all connection with figures that really matter in your life, which are still people. And I really wanted to connect to this ego and self. And it didn't matter any, anymore to me that it's not real. I Today I know in my mind, and also I remember the experience of not having a real self. I was joyful to go back into this self and connect with other people and connect with them on levels uh, deeper than ever before. Um, so that's just something to to point out. And now I said I, it would be a segue to to our next topic, which is kind of these intimate relationships and maybe going into um, finding a partner and and starting a, a family, which I know for both of us is, is important. So I'm interested um, in terms of the timeline, were those experiences that you just mentioned uh, already after you met your, um, your future wife or was it during? And also what kind of uh, changes did you make consciously going into a relationship? Like, did you try to take measures to make it succeed? Uh, so now all, all the, psych, at least the psychedelic and, and MDA experiences were all in the last two and a half years, three years. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and my wife and I are together for 12 and a half years now. So that we've been together for, for a while. Um, so that's one. And um, going into a relationship with my wife, taking measures to make it successful <laughs> well i was really just following my um well that's interesting and lots of the choices i made in life have been very much on the intellectual side on the trying to overthink everything and then see what is the best decision but being with my wife was like a purely emotional decision and it's like one of the best decisions in my life and it's um, maybe we'll get to the get there later with with uh, experiences uh, of our daughter that I talked a little bit about with you. All the good decisions we made there were also based on on feeling. So yeah, my my wife um, or girlfriend at the time at uh, at a university. Like I was I was in love right away. I was like, damn, she's hot, <laughs> and I was still very much in the promising start. Yeah, so I, I was like in the in the frame of mind of of um, dating a lot, and and uh, even close to like the, the pickup artist type stuff is really stupid. But anyway, it's just fill, filling a hole within myself. But she was she was very well hard to get. She she didn't she wasn't um, naive or anything. 
in that sense. So it was even more of a uh, challenge <laughs> for me. So we got to know, get to know each other a little bit, and, and I'm like, damn, I'm I'm falling in love. What the hell? So, um, and then she says, well, I'm going to uh, Suriname for half a year. It's like after we met for after we met for a few weeks, um, uh, doing my uh, what you, what do you call it in English? Like a internship uh, in, in Suriname, and I I already got a, uh, had an internship fixed uh, here in the Netherlands. And I'm like, damn! If she's going there for half a year, then it's probably it will probably be out of sight, of out of mind, and it'll it'll get to nothing. Um, so I was like, yeah, but if I say I'll I'll go with you, for example, it'd be kind of weird when we don't know each other that well yet. <laughs> so I was like, oh right, my my mother had a had a small cabin uh, in, on a on a small island in in front of the Netherlands, um, and I was like, I'll I'll invite my girlfriend or well at the time we weren't even like boyfriend girlfriend yet just dating so i was like hey do, what do you think of of going with me to uh to the cabin for uh for a, a midweek and and just have fun swim and things like that but it was also kind of a plan for me to okay let's see how it goes if we are like multiple nights and days together just the two of us in a small cabin how how does it feel how are there is there any weird shit that i need to need to uh <laughs> Need to watch out for with her because you know the, the hot crazy scale you know so uh -huh. anyway uh, so we went there and like half, halfway during the week i was like damn i'm i'm so much in love so i and so i asked her what do you think if i go with you to suriname she was like what are, are you serious and yes she, she was like yeah of course awesome and so so then i i went to uh, the university uh, like board or examinators and said yeah I want to do my internship in Suriname uh, instead of of here, and they were like, "Yeah, and that's not not gonna happen." So <laughs> they're like, "If if you go there, your internship will not count, and and uh, you'll have to do a, an extra year later." And so, but I was like, I, I didn't literally say uh, the f bomb, but but uh, I was like, "Well, I'll I'll I'm going anyway." So <laughs> so I went there. Uh, with her and and I fixed my internship there, even though the university here said it's it's not going to count. Well, we we were there for half a year. It was a, such a lovely time. Um, we we learned salsa there, uh, zumba, merengue, bachata, all those dances. We went into the jungle, uh, talked with with uh, all the people there. It's it's very interesting. It's they speak Dutch there, so we could talk with everyone. But the culture is is like totally different it's like well a, a banana republic right. so but but you so you immediately get into the into the maybe this um, uh, cute segue to connection as well you immediately connect to the the people that li are living there you become part of society there but maybe not not as much of course if you if you lived in your own country but um, because you speak the same language they don't know if you've been there for like a month or five years uh, so they Act toward and, and because Suriname is such a melting pot of different cultures, they they don't care how you look, or what color skin you have, what what accent you have, or whatever. So everyone treats each other as they treat everyone in, in Suriname, um, and you you immediately get get into the culture and are connected with the people. And we ate with different kinds kinds of uh, cultures and different homes, different people, and 
and the 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 teacher that that was guiding us with the internship there he took us to their to his family and after after uh uh, we were giving our classes. He took us with his his pickup truck first, getting some beer, and then, <laughs> and then going going out fishing. And it was very very fun. Anyway, my my wife and I connected with each other there a lot too because we we lived together right away, even though we didn't know each other that well yet. So it it was kind of hard as well because in in Suriname, romantic love is. A little bit more open, you might say. Um, especially if if you're not married, you're free game, in a hmm. sense. Um, so, in at at the dancing school, um, all the guys were trying to, at least in my mind, but also, don't know, trying to to uh, uh, hit on your wife, hit on my wife, yes, yeah. <laughs> or, or my then girlfriend. So, oh, yeah. I also had to deal with with for the first time in my life really the sense of jealousy but also after Suriname it was also gone so it's it's a it's a very good uh, uh, lesson anyway we we connected really there with each other with with the people there and, and and when we were leaving it was also very sad because we knew lots of the people there we would never see again um they gave so much to us of themselves because that's also a beautiful thing i think in in Suriname people are much more authentic at least than in the Netherlands. Um, and it goes both ways. It can be rude, but also very loving. And, and, and we really missed that part when we came back in the Netherlands of, of this connection with, with people that were really their authentic selves. Here it's very much, at least in the cities, and it's very much, well, the, the earthly desires, the status game, the, the money-making. and um, Right. There it was much less. It was very much, uh, in, in Suriname you say, no spang, no stress, chill, you know. So um, I, I, I am conscious that I lost my train of thought. You asked a question, you know, um, I asked part of it. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And it's, it's a lovely story. And it's kind of also a template to, to think of when you think of people actually connecting. Um, I'm the same way, by the way, my wife and I just moved in uh, probably like a month after meeting or something like that. So I resonate with that. Um, no, it's 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 lovely, and it's such a good example of how how people um, connect. And uh, I don't want to generalize and say that this doesn't happen, but I do think that um, it has changed in those past uh, twelve years. Um, just the patterns of of people doing that, um, especially in America, I think, where it's so obvious that it, as a young person you're probably not going to change your internship or the new job you got. It's not going to go to a different city or something like that. It's so individualistic that you usually go wherever um, the job opportunity takes you um, and so on. Yeah, so I think I think that really traces beautifully the, the beginnings of, of this relationship. And um, now, um, yeah, I know, I know you have, um, you also have a story about connection um, with your daughter, which you mentioned briefly about um, her birth and the beginning of, of her life. So would you um, also share that with us? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, four and a half years ago, our, our daughter was born in the, in the hospital, luckily, and also barely. <laughs> um, and well, she when she was born, and we we uh, when I, when I, well, I, I took her out, she was very beautiful. You know, it's, to 
to tag back it's like an mdma experience as in so much love you feel um but then we got an umbilical cord and then we held her for a few minutes and and checked everything and at some point she uh we noticed that the breathing wasn't very wasn't going okay and then a doctor came and put a, like a little mask on her on her mouth and, and nose to give some oxygen and it, it didn't really get better so the doctor was like okay I'll, I'll turn up the oxygen and the doctor saw that the oxygen was already at 100 percent of what she was getting was already 100 percent oxygen so the doctor was like this ain't good so immediately she went to the um the icu of that hospital um and well everything went downhill from there um so i'm, I'm not going to in as much detail as this because then we'll i'll be talking for three months so then from one hospital to the next and then to the next and we finally within 12 hours we were uh, uh 200 300 kilometers away in another hospital with her and she was uh, on uh, on life support she the, the condition that she she had or else still has but it's like partially fixed is, is congenital diaphragmatic hernia it's it's a, it's a whole mouthful but what essentially happened is that her diaphragm uh, didn't close during uh, um, uh, the, the fetal stages and her intestines were in her chest area. So that meant that her lungs were, meant two things. Her lungs, one, were, were less developed as in much smaller because they were pushed away by the intestines, intestines that, that grew there. And the second thing is that all the, the capillaries, like sort of small, parts of your lungs where, where uh, the air comes in and goes out are much more constricted. And, and, and that's something that she still has. Um, and, and the combination of that makes that like, well, in the past, like, like no babies with that uh, condition survive. Uh, and like nowadays, it's between uh, 30 and 40% that, that survive. Um, but with but only survived as in like in the Netherlands with, with specific hospitals. So we have two hospitals in the Netherlands that both have two beds that can take children with, with these, uh, with this condition. So it's like only one in 20 or 30,000 babies born each year ha have that condition. So that's why we had to go to a specific hospital. And in that hospital, she was on life support for 90 days. And in all that time we went to, ups and downs of she like maybe dying in 10 hours or sometimes maybe dying in five minutes and it was constantly like that for the first 90 days there was there was no there was no relief in there was no day of relief where the highest chance was that she wasn't going to die uh, so and of course we all also had our son who was two so he the, the first five six weeks he he was wasn't with us um we were living on the the hospital grounds in the it's called in, I, maybe maybe it's in other countries too but it's a, it's a ronald's mcdonald's house it's like the one thing that i'm thankful for that mcdonald's does and has it's like uh, they they have a a house with, with uh, chambers for the parents of people with with very very ill children and you can stay near the hospital so we have we, more than a dozen times we sprinted from the Ronald McDonald House to the the intense the neonatal intensive care unit because it 
it would be the last time we would see our daughter um or so we thought and then ah yes it, it wasn't the case and um and remember my wife just had childbirth so running for her with her um how do you call it um the well her, her hips and this was was horrible of course but um our daughter was was on the the uh, nycu so the neonatal intensive care unit on life support and it went from bad to worse and, and every time that we were like it, life can't get any worse it got worse and then the week like like in the second week we were we we wanted to go back to the first week even though in the first week we were thinking it, it can be worse so it maybe some some examples to make it real for people um she was getting oxygen and her chest was constantly thumping with with a respirator um and she was connected through like 25 different kinds of of medicine and and adrenals and morphines and, and opiates and and things just to keep her well her her her, her body in in homeostasis um is is she is she in pain the whole time as well for for large part yes but of course trying as much to to lessen that through yeah so even after the the time where where she was out of um uh, immediate danger so after the first 90 days or so then came a month of uh insane um uh do we call it uh, when when you're an addict like a heroin addict and you have to um, oh yeah like withdrawal simply. withdrawal yeah withdrawal withdrawal she 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 was so far into morphine use and and fentanyl and and all those kinds of things that her withdrawal phase had to use new kinds of drugs to try to relieve the the old drugs so give give her new opiates that were slightly different so she so the withdrawals weren't wouldn't be so bad um she she had more um she was she was essentially constantly near, near an a threshold of of overdose like so say a heroin addict takes takes a bunch of of uh, uh medicine and in almost overdosing she was constantly near that that range to keep her in a coma like wow. state to uh, operate on her to um to try to relieve the pain um but oftentimes it you you couldn't give more because her body was her receptors weren't accepting the opiates anymore so but if you give more you you damage other parts of her body so sometimes uh, i'm digressing but it she got as much stuff in her as as possible to to relieve the the pain and suffering and uh and and in terms in terms of of connection at that time were you able to at all um hold her um how how yeah. how did things go with um with like breastfeeding was there any of that or is it all like no. she has to be sterile and we we couldn't hold her it, she was in a in a small baby bed um and like an incubator. It, even just turning her around because we had to turn her around from from belly to to her back we needed five people wow. two, two on either side and then one that was because she was attached to so many uh cables to measure everything and um ivs uh for all the medicine you had to uh, flip like 10 or, or sometimes 20 cables or ivs with her at the same time you were flipping 
a baby and, and every one of those IVs of course had a needle into her that hurt so when flipping her twice a day was a horrible experience for her because she you see her heart rate spike insanely high above 200 something uh, her blood pressure everything um, just from turning her around <clears throat> the turning around was necessary because she the 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 fluids in her in her lungs are are going to feel like the the bottom of her lungs in a sense so you have to flip around normally you move while sleeping but because she had so much stuff put into her she she wasn't really moving much uh, or at all so we had to flip her around but it also meant during the times we could not flip her she had to be yeah it sounds horrible it was horrible drained of fluids so a within her she has has a tube all the way into her lungs that gives uh, air but within that tube there is a small smaller tube with a suction unit on it and you then uh, suck and then drag the tube out and then put it back in and then suck again to wow. to to flush out the well the 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 moisture the mm -hmm. uh, in the lungs but it, that hurts insanely so every time you do that you you hear a every time i hear a a sound of a, a specific uh wash bin or, or something giving a certain sound that sounds like that i i have to think back to that, that moment because every time you see her face even with all the all the stuff that's in her, she is she flinching um, yeah. from like pain, writhing in pain. Yeah. yeah. So that that was like that were that were the normal good days, and then the bad days were when st things started going bad. That bad that she had to go to the operating chamber for different kinds of things. So one at some point was that she wasn't able to breathe even with maximum amount of oxygen and as fast of a respiratory rate as possible to not destroy her lungs. It was still not enough to give her enough oxygen to live. So what happened was that she had to be attached to a, an ECMO. It's an extra corporeal membrane oxygenation. I'm not sure if you heard about it, but what it does. Yeah, you hear about it now with a coronavirus patients, yes, right? with yes. COVID patients. Yes, and it's 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 horrible. What you do is you sacrifice a, an artery in your in your neck. From there, a, a, a tube goes into the machine. Your blood goes to the machine and oxygenates the blood and, and takes out uh, the carbon dioxide um, and then goes back into the body. So you, you're, you don't have to breathe at all anymore uh, through your lungs. But of course, it has well a machine of two by two by two meters next to this small little baby keeping her alive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane, um, but also necessary. But you get all kinds of complications with that. So one complication that happened was that her brain, because of the machine, you have to keep the blood. Uh, you don't want blood clots in there. So you try to make the, the blood uh, more, the viscosity of the blood is, right. is, is getting higher. Blood thinner. Uh, yeah, blood thinner. So, but it also meant the blood went more to parts in her brain that, that normally don't go there as deep, but still sometimes clots clots can continue so what happens of course what was that a clot got stuck there and uh, she got a, a, a brain uh, bleeding and so at some point a, a third of her brain was pushed all the way back just, just by blood and that at that moment she had to be disconnected from the machine to go to the operating chamber and take out the blood clot and open her skull but of course she the machine was there because she couldn't breathe. So if you take out the machine, she 
will die. Um, and in the previous week, we already tried to wean her off. That's what they call it, to to lower the machine rate of 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 flow of blood through the machine to her and and bring up again the the air to her lungs through the respirator so you can take off the machine and it it has a it takes 42 hours to to do that weaning and we tried three times and every time the 42 hours we couldn't go to a level enough she her breathing couldn't take over and when she had that that blood cloth she had to be taken off within two or three hours because else she would just be a a vegetable after uh, her brain would be be gone essentially so and this is like i think this is like maybe the first real miracle in a sense i i'd say that i saw there with her within three hours we could wean her off the whole machine which was in the full previous week we didn't it, it didn't didn't happen it didn't work and i can still remember the two doctors looking at the screen with her vitals on it looking and staring in wonder with their mouths open not knowing what was happening that thinking the machines or the, the vital signs were off it, it couldn't be that she was still having such a good high oxygen level whilst while the machine was almost uh the ECMO machine was almost not doing anything anymore wow. well at that moment but we didn't have time to sit and stare so the machine was detached from her and like within 10 15 minutes she went to the operating room um and her, the chance of of her surviving that were were nil really so it was for us it was like saying for the last time saying goodbye and then she came back and and we we could see her and she was covered in blood everywhere and, and she was laying on on her, on her chest and her, her whole skull had a a big rib with with um they call stitches. it needle and stitches um and, and her whole face was was swollen you couldn't really see her face that well anymore because she she due to the ecmo she had to lay in the same position all the time which meant all the water in your body starts sitting at, at some at a specific part that's that's laying down um you see it more often with people that cannot move in in hospital so her face you couldn't recognize her face anymore and it was so sad, but also we were so full of love that she was still there, and our our uh, our parents were there, and and close friends and family. Uh, yeah, we we really cried a lot together there, and and yeah, I'm so, that's, sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm. <laughs> no, that's I, that's that's amazing, and it does sound like a miracle, like something that you know, even if, if even the doctors were almost not believing their eyes, then. To me, it sounds like an absolute fiction story, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, so you just had this daughter who from the first moment of her life, uh, basically, um, had to be taken away and cared for, not by you as normal. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm wondering about the the kind of mindset that, that you and your wife had at the time so you were lacking that that connection you couldn't hold her um were you imagining a future at all uh or uh, even even I'm, I'm tempted to ask like did you 
did you name her? Was was it with a name maybe comes uh, a sense that you were naming somebody, you were giving them something going forward, like uh, a sort of thing. Uh, did you even find time to do that? Um, anything yes. like that? Yeah. I'm getting a little bit of tears in my eyes. We thought of her name before she was born. We didn't know this would happen, of course. And my wife was very much, my wife thought of her name and I went, I'm going to try to tell it without actually giving her name because we have a, a uh, agreement that we don't give our children's name mm. on, on the web. Right. But but her name means gift in a certain language. Yeah, she, she is the gift of life for us. She's, uh, she's given so much to us and, and the world. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> and thinking of, of moments after, yes, we, I constantly had a, like an image in my mind which, which felt very real of her crawling in the grass in our backyard in the summer and and us all being there um and i i constantly kept that in mind um during the time and, and of course we we sang to her we we held her hand as much as possible if, if it was possible next to her we, we were always talking next to her singing next to her just to keep her there to let her know that we were there that, that there was some someone even if she were, wasn't sure or conscious or on the outside you sometimes can't see if, if someone is noticing things in their surroundings and even if she wasn't we wanted to be there for her when she was in those moments of consciousness or, or awakeness that she would hear something maybe she wasn't showing it in her body or her face but sometimes we could see in her um, heart rate that we were when she was in a lot of pain that we started singing for her that she that her heart rate started going down again. We really felt um, really felt to go back to the, the subject really connected with her. We we're also very grateful for the, the the people around us that were there because the only reason that we could also be there with her all the time is because the, the people around us were. Uh, taking care of our son, cooking for us, uh, cleaning our, our room at the, at the Ronald McDonald house, taking care of our, our own home that was so far away, doing communication with, with our jobs that we had. My wife, she was, <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's an awesome wife. She was still, even though the, the chance of, of our daughter surviving was like, one in, in a billion or, or not even I, I calculated at some point with with the statistics of, of every of every um operation and procedure and complications she has what her survival rate would be it, it would be beyond one like if this happened to eight billion people not even one would statistically survive this so anyway my in even with that chance my wife was still um uh, how do you call it? Uh, not breastfeeding her, but but um, pumping pumping it into into bottles mm -hmm. for her. Um, so a, fr a friend, one of my best friends, he bought a a big freezer, like this big freezer that you can fill like with a cow, <laughs> uh, as big, and um, he put it in our garage here at home, and he he did like milk runs every week. He went to us with a, uh, and, and other people also, we, there's like a, a big freezer, freezer chest as in that fit in a car. 
he went to 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 the hospital where my wife had uh, bottled all, all her milk for for the week took that took it home and put it in the freezer for when our daughter would come home at some point and she would still be able to to get uh, her mother's milk um that's connection i think um so much love for for the people around you for your friends your family other humans also the all the doctors and, and nurses in the hospital they were so even though it's it's their work it was clear so clear that they were doing it out of love for all these babies that were there so with such compassion because every few days a baby would die on the icu we were and then you see a a wall put up or, or curtains and then sometimes say a, a like sliding wall and then you see family and you hear crying and and every time you hope it's, it's not you of course but all those people working there see that day in day out and they work with such compassion no bitterness no maybe they maybe they feel sad sometimes but but they didn't show it they were always loving and and optimistic and i think in our last conversation i gave a, a small example of, of how i see that in my mind like every person has has this flywheel this big wheel uh with which can turn and it can store energy in moment in momentum like you uh, you like a train has a as a flywheel that creates momentum and everyone has this flywheel full of energy and some people's flywheels are turning slower or or some are faster and and flywheels you can also create them as gears that you can then uh, latch into each other and what i saw was just all these people with all, all the energy that they have stored in their flywheels connecting to to our flywheel of, of my wife and i and of of our daughter and our daughter has i imagine has this like this this huge heavy flywheel that is like all is so so heavy that get it to turn is so hard but if you attach enough gears to each other you can transfer the energy of, of all those flywheels and then uh, get that big wheel turning and, and that's how i see the, those moments but also the world all all flywheels connected all with energy and some parts have less energy but need it more and then if you just connect with each other you can transfer that energy to the places where it's needed and and that's that's how i see connection really so it's you your wife the doctors the friends um yeah that's that's such a, a beautiful metaphor for it and and the way to think about it um how long did it take for you like at, at what age were you finally able to to get in touch in real touch with your daughter hug um and start and start forming this this deep connection when yeah so a few minutes ago i recounted the story of the the ecmo that wasn't even yeah i'll keep the other one for later but i'll give a, sh a short short idea at some point the doctor said it's going so bad so that was after all this it's going so bad you you can take her in your lap and then then she can die in your arms because at least and she won't die alone in, in the on the on the bed and then you can also still have have held her um in that moment we a, a lot happened um before and after that moment so it, it was so bad with her that that we we didn't want to her to to suffer any longer and indeed it looked like she wouldn't be there anymore in 
maybe half an hour. Uh, so we called friends and family uh, in, in to come to uh, the hospital. So they would be there at least likely after she she would have died. Um, but at least be there for us and also be able to see her. And uh, in the time that we were calling, 10 minutes or so, um, what happened is that that her so the the reason why the the doctor said you can take her in her in, her, in your lab is because her oxygen levels were so low that she couldn't hold on to life any longer before just her body breaking down and she couldn't go on the ECMO again because she already sacrificed a, a an artery, um so th this was there was nothing to do anymore, um so in in the time that we were calling friends and family her oxygen suddenly started to slowly go up back again. If, if we didn't call friends and family, if we didn't call our connections, we probably would have taken her on our lap already. So we, we, we saw that while we were calling that her oxygen was going up a little bit. And my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, okay, let's, let's give her one more chance because she, she gave so much at, at each of these complications. She was so strong. They were like, who are we to, to take that her chance at, at life away from her if she, if she wants to try again? Uh, maybe one more time so her her oxygen level started going up a little bit and a little bit and and kept it was still at a level that that she wouldn't survive for probably a day or so but at in the morning a a doctor came in um a very wise old man um i think somewhere near near 80 already but he, he was from china so he looked very young <laughs> for his age but he um he said, "Well, we we can try one more thing," and it was something that that um, an, uh, a procedure that they didn't really do anymore because it it had failed the last ten times or so. It, uh, it's uh, using a, a big needle to go between the the ribs and into the uh, cavity where the lungs are and and extract um, the water or the the liquid that's there to try to give the lungs more space and, and hopefully uh, more room to to breathe so in the, the procedure well the first time went a little bit wrong but the second time it went good and and we he told us after why they didn't really do it anymore because most of the time they would hit a vein or artery and the baby would just bleed to death within five minutes um so they did but it, it was like there was there's nothing else to do so and that it worked and her suddenly her oxygen levels came back to 58 90 good enough to to not destroy any parts of her brain or body uh and after that it was it was a road upwards with small hiccups in between but it was up 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 uh so so fast that at some point one doctor said yeah she probably has to stay stay like for four weeks on, on oxygen um on OptiFlow and and suddenly out of my mouth came now it'll, it'll just be four days I, I don't know why i said it but and then it was on a friday and then on monday that that doctor came back and we were sitting next to our daughter and she didn't have any respiratory uh um, measures anymore and he was like what the fuck <laughs> um um so i'm i am recounting a little bit of that story but um the reason after the fact that her oxygen levels started rising in those 10 minutes were very special to, to me specifically. Um, in, in, the, in the day before that happened, so during the day, um, it was going 
pretty bad um and so bad that we were sleeping in in the hallway next to her next to the nycu so a small office was uh cleared and, and two uh stretches were put down from my wife and i but i was uh, as headstrong as our daughter uh i was also headstrong and not wanting to give up so i was doing what i i do best and researching lots of things um and, and i have a science background so that helped a lot so i was like into PubMed and 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 all those uh, scientific articles specifically about um her condition and procedures and also experiments done on on lambs and goats what what can you do to to uh help her and i found one procedure that wasn't really done on on humans yet but on lambs already and was giving a uh a medicine called prostin it's also something that the yeah that's a tangent so it's it's something that a body also makes but uh when when a baby i don't want to digress too much here it's it's a it's a a, a hormone that can help in certain ways and in that experiment it showed that it could help uh give give the lungs more room and less pressure to to uh, help with breathing uh breathing <laughs> um but it wasn't done in humans yet so i mentioned that to the doctor they didn't say much about it but it, it, it did help because during that night when it went so bad like four hours before the moment we were almost well giving up the doctor gave her prostin um and that helped alleviate the the pressure around her lungs and right in the moment we were calling was when when the 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 pressure was releasing and she could breathe a little bit more uh again and it, so the for me so it you, was a so you you basically studied medicine the whole while and then right when you were most needed you came up with the solution to to save your daughter's life that's that's why but I, of course i didn't know that was the solution i i just tried everything of course there was there, there was no option to not try i of course we came came with things like can we can do a lung transplant of of us or or everything past the the how do you say it um want to do everything of course right yeah uh, but yeah in, indeed all, all the time when we when my wife was for example with her uh, and our i was in the ron mcdonald house with, with our son at some moments i was constantly yeah looking through that indeed medicine um so yeah i'm very grateful that that i that i have a bi biology background and and could could do that of course um, so so all all that that you mentioned that that's about the first four months of your life the first three months yeah first three months and um and after that like things got better i i understand and you were able to um not just dream of a future but maybe begin to to believe that it will come true and um connect with her do you um do you then start to 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 kind of wind down from the experience or is it something that if left un, untreated let's say or unaddressed do you think it it would just it just became your default to kind of take every day or every hour like living hour by hour because you've been doing it for for so long um 
did it stick with you just the the tendency to live hour by hour or were you able to kind of breathe deeply and go back to a more normal way of being which is let's think about next week about next month next year yeah so um in this in the the moments when we came home well first just broke down like literally fell to the ground in in both relief and like all the pressure from all those months um when she when we brought her home it was i can't really describe it it's I gratefulness think it's ineffable probably yeah. yeah so but but in those months after it i felt very like you like you mentioned uh, a while ago after your uh, this hawaiian uh, psychedelic trip with, with those <laughs> The, the substances i felt really disconnected from other people in my life uh, that are indeed worried about whatever not not having a, uh, a specific grocery uh, today at home or a flat tire or all those things seem so meaningless um but of course your your mind adapts again and now i can i can also just worry about not having an, my <laughs> egg cooked right <laughs> um, but but less so less than before of course i mean and and it was it was very hard to uh for me at least to to come home and, and not worry about her because so i'm i've always been a, a worrier uh very anxious and when our son was born i was very anxious of him dying for whatever reason uh i it's well this is probably the first public confession but i i haven't kissed my son at least not on his lips for the first two months of his life only on his cheeks because i was so afraid of making him ill um that's the, like the extent of how afraid i was of of my kids being hurt or dying and then i get a daughter where exactly that is happening it's almost like um the universe gives you what you need in a sense even though it was like the di most difficult ordeal with our daughter that i've ever experienced it also gave me the the biggest lesson that i needed that um life is impermanent and that clinging on is not the answer and that if you cling on it's actually harder to connect with those who you love because you you are not looking at at them and they're, they're loving parts, but you are looking at, at, at only at what you are to them because you're clinging to them instead of letting them be or, or accepting them as, as they are. And at the same time, also accepting myself myself as who I am. Um, I took, took a lot of lessons away from that, those three months in a hospital with, with our daughter. But it, it's not like I learned those lessons in the first week after and then started living like that. It, it took years. Also because it, much of the, the stuff that it brought up from my own childhood, it was just hard to deal with. And then uh, it, I, I also tried to hide from it through starting businesses, uh, quitting my job and going freelancing just to, I threw myself into, into I need to make money, I need to, uh, uh, be there for my family in in a monetary sense and and all things like that just actually hiding again from from those hard and difficult difficult parts 
Um, but when I started writing and, and like I said earlier, taking a, a little microdose of psychedelics, I, I started to let out some of those things. And then also looking at, at all the experiences I had with our daughter that were in a sense a blessing to be able to connect with myself and, and with others again. And yeah, we did have a, a, a setback about 10 months after, no, seven months after we were home. So when our daughter was 10 months old, she was again almost not there anymore. She she had a kind of an epileptic fit, but she also choked in her own um, mm. stomach <laughs> stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but luckily we had a, a like video uh, baby phone, baby receiver. What do you call it? Yeah, um, like a monitor. Monitor, baby monitor and and i heard a strange sound so i was like I'll, I'll just go and look and and it was really bad so we i, I took her and, and ran across the the street to to a, a doctor our neighbor is a doctor but he wasn't home then to another neighbor his psychiatrist who was at home and called the ambulance and at that moment i i saw her life her life slipping through my hands literally um after all that she went through after all that we went through and then suddenly again she she was lost and and luckily the ambulance came in time uh give her oxygen um but they couldn't yes what what they tried to do is get for an for an epileptic attack give give a, a metasolam and, and other um uh opiates through the through a needle but but they they used the needle and put it in her in her arms and legs but they couldn't uh it, it didn't connect with a vein because she still had all the the scar tissue in her veins from from those months in the in the hospital so she they had to drill into her leg into the bone and in the bone um put uh, put opiates where she's still a baby without any uh, um how do you call it uh, nothing to uh, to relieve the pain right. and the first first drill went wrong so they also had to drill in, the, oh. in her other leg oh, man. And she was already full of scars such so that 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 moment i'm not i don't want to say it was harder than those three months but it, it was like like you I, I i don't want to make too much of a i don't know how concentration camps were but let's say you had you went through in a concentration camp in in the, the second world war and you go through all the shit and you get out and you think you're free and then you meet yeah. some weird crazy nazi in the woods even though the war is over and and he's and he does some weird shit with you and, and kills you it's god giving you giving you a kick after or something right yeah so that, so that was a very difficult um few people understood also my wife understood it less because she wasn't she 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 was with our son for the most most part of that she she wasn't in, in the so i, I was I was with her alone and and so and our neighbor so I, I couldn't really talk about it with with um with many people so that that was a that was a, a hard time as well but now i i've mostly dealt with i think almost everything i mean i can talk about it now without <laughs> without breaking down too much um and it's also because she has to go to the hospital at first like every few months and then every half year and then every year and every time we were, we are there it's like um, exposure therapy. But you, you, you know, remem- I remember those times running through the halls there, hoping to see our daughter for the last time. And now I can walk there with her in my arms. So it, you recreate, you mm. almost override those emotions with, with new good emotions. 
wow. so that was very valuable and and the psychedelics uh, also helped in in part with that and writing and and talking about it with my wife and friends and family so we there again to tie it back into the the subject if you go through such a hard experience if you don't have other people to talk about it with it's i couldn't imagine i, I would still be it would be still be a big a big um heavy loads on my shoulders or on my head if I couldn't have talked about it with people. And, and that's, I, that's another reason why I think connection is so important. If you, it's like in, in Dutch, you have a saying, uh, it means a uh, shared pain is, is only half the pain. And that, yeah, we have I, something similar in Hebrew for sure. Yeah. So, and, and that's, and that's so true. So another reason why connection is so important, um, to share the load of suffering. That's amazing. And I understand that in terms of, of, of living today, just this connection and, and connection with your family takes a, a central role where um, you're basically unable to prioritize something over it, which is, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I see this, my, my family is, is like priority one and then underneath that is i think sh sharing with just like a, a message i think it's important for people to find their true self get connected with their true self and if they do that then they also see that the selves of other people are also valuable lovable souls in the sense and and if you see that then you immediately see it in someone else and if you see it in someone else they you can bring it out in them better. And then they start seeing those people start seeing themselves as lovable and acceptable and get connected with themselves. It's like a, a, an oil, um, patch or, or that's, that's growing. If you well, mm -hmm. share the love or share the connection. And, um, and I think one, one thing that's so important is, is, is searching for who you really are. Um, because then, then you get connected. And if you get connected, you love, and if you love, you are happy. Um, and if you're happy, you're grateful. And, and then it, you're, the only thing that's left is being grateful that you're alive or that you exist, uh, which I think is very beautiful. That's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, such such beautiful words. And I agree with, with every bit. And, you know, just your story. First of all, thank you so much for, for sharing and taking us through it and i mean there's something about you that even in the earlier story where it was just you um falling in love with your wife like even though like I, there was a spoiler i knew you were husband and wife today i was still rooting for you and that so that's even and with your daughter as well just uh it's it was so easy to to get immersed in that in that story so thank you for for telling it the way it was and and in the way that you did um yeah and it's one of those rare cases you know usually somebody tells you a story and it reminds you of some sort of thing in your in your life that kind of resembles it so you share that and arrive that and that is just one of these stories where i doubt anyone i know has something remotely um similar to that um yeah so it'll take a, a while for me to to process as well 
Yeah, Gibran, I think uh, this is this is probably a good way to to bring things to closure. I think that connection personally is something that is so important to us and realizing that there is almost like our lives and the lives of others and then relationships are almost like entities in their own right, yes. you know, that live. Uh, that live and grow and are characterized by the way people are treating one another. We just want to see more relationships that are based on on trust, love, friendship, and all that. It's just a beautiful thing to see because you can't be another person and you can't own another person so that you would, uh, I don't know, really take pride in what they do or something you can't own people but you're in a literally in a, in a partnership <laughs> holding the rights for for the partnerships and relationships that that you have and it's up to us to maintain them proactively and really make our life better and i think the point that i will take from from your story and everything you shared you know is that like you said any sort of pain is only half a pain when shared with others and uh but interesting that with joy it's exactly the opposite right instead of yes. being instead of being halved it's it's doubled mm -hmm. which is so interesting this is it's not a symmetrical thing yes. right pain is halved um joy is doubled so uh with that what what else is is left to say is there anything you'd like to add i i think that's i think you you hit it right there i think that's it um, <laughs> in, at least in the in, in the message uh connection yes that's it <laughs> amazing amazing so um lastly i'd like you to to share with everybody listening any details you might want to uh, any contact details if you want people to, to follow you on Twitter. I, I already told you I'd love to learn Dutch just to uh, follow the podcast on the whole thing when you make it with mm -hmm. your wife and then everything else you might have to share with the world. Um, so when you're going to announce it, we want to be able to hear it. So how do we do that? All right. <laughs> so um, I think the best way to find me is uh, on, on Twitter at at Ask Gibran, A S K J I B R A N, or on my blog, and then you can also email me there and, and read my some articles that I write. It's it's gibranelbasi.com. Um, I can well I can uh, say it, but you can just put a link there and it'll I be will, fine yeah, uh, I as well. Yeah, so those those two spots, I'm I'm active. Beautiful. Well, this has been um, by far the most emotional. Um, podcast episode that I did and thank you again so much I, I look forward very much to, to keep in touch with you and um, to many more and to life yes to life right there thank you thank you, thank you.